you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f- best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. Without further ado! That's what the game's all about. All of a sudden you feel like you can't miss. I'm gonna just leave it up there. You couldn't make that if you tried that again. Absolutely not. Welcome to Buckets. My name is Matt Moore and I'm the senior NBA writer for the Action Network. Joined by professional better Raheem Palmer and NBA futures analyst. Brandon Anderson, coming to you with a big picture. On every Tuesday, we break down the biggest stories in the NBA, the betting impacts. Then we talk about what the biggest thing to talk about in the NBA at the moment is after a busy trade deadline week. You can check out our post-trade deadline episode last week with me and Raheem. Brandon's back for us. Excited to have him back. The guys are done with football. I get them all to myself. No more nonsense. With Brandon trying to talk me into Jimmy Garoppolo. Let's go. Um, very excited to have the guys. We're going to talk about a number of things. Let's start with tip off where we go over the biggest stories in the NBA. Norman Powell, the Clippers just traded for the Blazers wingman suffers a fractured foot. That's a bummer. So now the Robert Covington and Norman Powell trade turns into just Robert Covington as Powell is out for the foreseeable future. Clippers just cannot, cannot escape injuries, Raheem. Like, this is a dangerous team that I just do not think is going to be fully healthy. And the the more that these, like, little injuries stack up, the more I wonder if they're going to eventually just be like, I don't know if it's worth bringing Kawhi back, considering how banged up we are. They trade Serge Ibaka. Norman Powell's now out. Uh, do you have any sort of impact? Like, what are your thoughts on futures play or in the immediate on the Clippers? They're a, a fringe play-in team or a play-in team who could, you know, possibly challenge for the playoffs, but I don't think they're anything more than that. I never was expecting Kawhi Leonard to come back because, you know, he takes his time coming back from these injuries. I think the real thing is determining whether Paul George is going to come back. And I think we can reach a point where they say we're not going to bring him back because it's like, why go for it this year? So, I don't think you can really play anything until you hear anything about George. Brandon, do you think we all kind of talked about this, about how our immediate reaction to the trade for Covington and Powell was like, oh, hey, 2022 Clippers futures. We'll talk ourselves out of it because the finals will come and some team will look awesome and win the title. Do you, I mean, I am asking this very seriously. Let's say that we know the PG and Kawhi are going to be back full strength next season. Powell too. Do you think that they should be favorites? to win the NBA title next season based off of where we're at right now. I think they should be in the mix. It's hard to know what next year looks like, like what, what, who moves around in the off season and everything. 
Like if the Bucks go in the title and the Bucks are now back-to-back defending champions, then like the Bucks are the favorites, obviously, regardless of what else is happening. Um, so it, I think it depends a little bit, but it feels like they should certainly be one of those like three or four teams that's that's at the top. Um, I wonder if we're going to get something like this year's Nets where the Clippers are going to get one of those high numbers, get favored as as one of the favorites. And then we're just going to be like, oh, Kawhi's out for three weeks again. Oh, PG's out for this month. And we're just going to wait all season long. Like, well, I, I wonder what the, they might look like if they ever get healthy. You know, this year we at least know they really aren't. But I, I'm not sure this moves the needle a ton for me right now. Like Covington is still a valuable player. Like they didn't really give up much in the trade. They lost Bledsoe, who was not really great anyways. Keon Johnson and Justice Winslow weren't doing much. The other thing too is they don't have their pick this year. So it's not like they have any reason to tank. The reason is just to protect PG's health if they need to shut him down. But if they feel like they if they feel like they're not hurting his health long term, there's really no reason not to at least try to make the plane and see what you can do there. Another news, we got a report from Mark Stein that while the Sixers have added James Harden and things look are looking up and Doc Rivers is excited and apparently there's like a relationship. James Harden tried to get Doc to come coach the Rockets after Mike D'Antoni left. But now there's a little bit of talk amongst league executives, not in Philly, just around that Daryl Morey will want to bring back Mike D'Antoni, who has basically taken the year off as a consultant to bring him back to take over in case Doc Rivers can't get it done. I specifically want to talk about this specific report with one Raheem Palmer who refuses to call Doc by his name, Doc, and only refers to him as Glenn. Raheem, let me ask you something. Do you think that Mike D'Antoni, at his age, would be an upgrade over Doc Rivers? No. When you look at Mike D'Antoni, since when does his team play defense as a, as a whole? Like, that's not something that he concentrates on. I don't know. It just seems like a weird fit to me with MB. It's almost like, Maury only has one trick and it's just, I'm just going to try to rebuild the Rockets under James Harden. I, I just, I don't, I don't understand it. What is your thoughts on trying to bring in D'Antoni for Doc? Like what, why are they doing this? I don't, I don't get it. Cause uh, Daryl didn't hire Doc. And, and so uh, Daryl's going to want his guy, especially now that he's got his other guy in Harden, right? You're going to want the best coach to maximize him. Like, I think there is like a sense of like they had unfinished business from Houston. And I think MB changes that equation. I also think you got to look at the way that Doc's teams have gone out in the playoffs, which you've talked about a lot, right? You can't bring in a veteran or like an assistant to coach this team if you let Doc go. Like, let's say that Doc has another collapse. Like, if they have another collapse, not not a good look, right? If they yeah. if they blow a three one lead or if they lose to if they lose as a favorite, I think that gets dicey with Doc again. Um, you can't bring in an assistant. This is too much of like an established team. I don't know who else you bring in. I don't know what other coaches are going to be out there that have kind of like the gravitas that you need in order to like coach at that level, right? And Dan Tony, like everyone loves Dan Tony. Everyone loves playing for Dan Tony. He gets everybody paid, so. Um, I wouldn't be necessarily shocked. I just thought the report from, from Stein was interesting. I don't necessarily think it's like a, it's not a done deal. You know, I think like Doc's done a really good job in Philly. He did a good job with the Clippers. 
but I, I, I caught that note and was, I thought it was very interesting given Doc's perplexing status. He was listed as one of the best 15 coaches of all time, which I don't know about that. Really great coach though. Does have a championship has coached teams, the near championship levels. Um, but there's been a lot of collapses. And so I think it's a, an interesting question to ask about. Uh, meanwhile, the other team on the equation of the Harden Simmons trade from last week, the Brooklyn Nets continue to absolutely tailspin as they are an absolute dumpster fire without Kevin Durant on the floor. Ben Simmons will not be back for in any sort of like foreseeable timeline. He was at practice today. So it seems like some of those mental issues, which kept him away, maybe, maybe settling a little bit. Brandon, I, I ask you this, the Brooklyn Nets have lost 11 in a row. The Los Angeles Lakers are three and seven in their last 10. Who pulls out of the tailspin first, the Nets or the Lakers? I think the Lakers pull out of the tailspin first, but I think that it's disingenuous to compare these teams to each other. Look, 23 days ago on January 22nd, the Nets were the one seed in the East. They've lost all the games since then and fallen to the eighth seed. The Lakers were never good ever this season. The Lakers have not been good. The Lakers are not good. The Nets are fine. They're just missing. What we've learned over the last month is that a team with Patty Mills and LaMarcus Aldridge is probably not the one seed. That's what we've learned, which is not a thing that we needed to learn. We knew this. We know that the Lakers are 20 and 20 with LeBron this year. The Lakers are 23rd in offense right now. They have two players on the team. So... I will say, using the two teams have nothing in common. Both of them have players who are only available half the time. So I, I think, really, the comparison is a little bit more apt than you say. They're both, both players have their second best players only around half of the time. So that, that's oh, fair. And that's, their that's, third best player can't shoot. You're right. This is low key a an important week for the Nets on Wednesday and Thursday. They played the Knicks and the Wizards heading into the All Star break. You got to win those games because you just need to get a couple wins and get out of the funk so you don't have a L14 heading to the All-Star break. And the Knicks and Wizards, like they could be contending for the last play-in spot with the Nets if they don't get out of this tailspin. They're the teams that are the floor that if Brooklyn things get really bad, like just win those two games and you've cut the floor off, you've guaranteed the play-in spot and none of the rest of the stuff matters. The Lakers have a lot more to worry about, but they're, they're going to get out of their tailspin because LeBron and Davis are healthy. They're going to win, but they're still not good. I don't know, man. I, I don't necessarily buy that the Nets are fine. I think KD covers up a lot of regular season warts. I think KD's been amazing. I think it's like a testament to how good KD is, which coming off that Achilles, like that's remarkable. Like it's insane that he's still this good. Yeah. but. What what is this team good at? What do you look at this team and go like, they're so good at having Kevin Durant. That's like what they're good at is having Kevin Durant. Yeah, but, is, but it's a team that we haven't seen what the team is right now. Like we haven't seen, we barely even seen Durant and Kyrie play and we've seen no Ben Simmons at all. And the Lakers we're going to get some washed veteran buyouts in at some point, but this is their team. Like we've seen their team, even with LeBron and Davis. Yeah, you're right. We don't really know what the Nets are good at yet. I'm not saying like, Oh, the Nets should be these favorites. They're totally fine. I just saying that the, the floor for the Lakers is still falling 
and the, the Nets are going to make the playoffs just fine. And then we'll see what happens from there. Are they, I mean, are they going to make the playoffs? I mean, how, how do we know that? They're going to make the playoffs unless Durant gets hurt and misses the end of the season. Like then, mm-hmm. then anything is in play. But like, if you if I had to choose which team is more likely to miss the playoffs, it's the Lakers because the Lakers haven't been good anyway. As long as the Nets get their guys out there, they're going to be fine to make the playoffs at least. KD did not sound like very optimistic when he was on the All Star thing about when he's coming back. Now he was being, I think he was having fun with the inside guys, but I think both these teams are in a little bit of trouble. I don't think the Nets. Now, look, one thing I will say: we're going to see uh, tomorrow night. Seth Curry and we're recording this on Monday. Um, Seth Curry and Drummond are going to play on Tuesday. So maybe like Seth helps them a lot, right? Like having another ball handler and having Drummond who's, you know, like a front court defender. If you squint, picked up space. He's big. He's a, he's a large man. So maybe that like helps them dramatically. I'm just still, I got a lot of question marks about both these teams. I think both these teams are in um, a lot of danger. I will say, like, the Lakers play pretty well in that Warriors game on Saturday. And um, the Lakers have played better when they're shorthanded than the Nets have when they don't have Kevin Durant. Because without Kevin Durant, they're a joke. Like, that's the drop-off. Is like, no Kevin Durant, team is a joke. Even with Kyrie. Joke. J-O. The uh, the Lakers and the Nets also don't own their first-round draft pick this year. So, there's... (laughs) There's really no tanking for these teams. There's nothing to to, to lose for them. May as well go ahead and try to make the playoffs. Uh, Other news. We didn't talk about this one much on the podcast the other day, but I want to get to it. The Celtics traded for Derek White. Who I know Brandon is very big. I want to ask him about this. Um, The Celtics have won eight in a row. They have kind of caught up to what the metrics said that they were. They're the hottest team in the East. They're the best defense in the league over the last month to 15 games. They've been playing great basketball. How good do you think the Celtics are, Brandon? Celtics are very good. I, I was surprised digging into this. Celtics are now top five in net rating and SRS at Basketball Reference, which I knew they were on their way up. I did not know that they were they're, they're fifth in both of those. I, I'm feeling a little frustrated. The Celtics were the team that I backed at the start of the year, and then it <laughs> yeah. went badly. And I am on record on this podcast as using my mulligan on the Celtics <laughs> so that I would no longer get credit for this thing that they're finally doing now. This defense is part of why I, I really like them. They're the top defensive team in the league. And I think, too, the swap from Dennis Schroeder to, to Derek White, I think is pretty huge because Schroeder just never really fit the team. And White, it's, it's such a higher floor. So it's, it's not just that White is good. He's good, not great, but he's a very good rotation player. But it's replacing the bad Schroeder minutes also. And it's a huge difference defensively having white out there. Who's a very, you know, like above average defender. You've got now white smart. You got Tatum and Jalen Brown. You got a bunch of big men, even getting Tice back is a guy that like, they know the system. They know what they're getting from him, but you got Horford and time Lord. Just like, it's a bunch of good defenders. Guys are going to show up every night. Um, I'm working on uh, my second team NBA all-stars. So that will be coming out later this week of just who, who would be the next set of all-stars. And the Celtics have like that whole list. Derek White is one of those guys who would be in that list as a possible second team all-star. Horford, if he had more minutes, would be a time lord, I think, should be on the team. And Jalen Brown is just it's a good team with a bunch of good players. And what we're seeing, especially in these pandemic seasons, is the teams that have 
not necessarily a superstar or two, but just a good team with a bunch of guys, they're moving up the standings. Look, I, I, I got to push back on this because this team, look, they have an A-game winning streak. It's, it's cute, everything like that. They beat two teams with a winning record during this winning streak, and they still can't score. You look over this A-game winning streak, they're 13 for offensive rate, 113 points point of possession. So I think that's, even though the defense has been good, and I, I think they've been beating up on a bunch of bad teams. I don't trust this. I don't trust this offense at all. I, I see them as a solid team, and I know last week I, I gave out the Celtics at plus nine hundred to possibly win the Atlantic. But I think that said a lot. To, that had a lot to do with where the Nets were at, where the Raptors were at, and the Sixers without. And this was before the Joey James Harden trade. But I, I'm just. I don't know how far this team can go with an offense that's running like this. And I know Derek White is supposed to step in. Maybe he's going to make them better, but I don't know. Like we've seen all year, this team struggle to score. So, so to play devil's advocate to that, compare them to the Miami Heat who have a similar profile of an elite defense, but we, we have questioned all year. Do they have enough scoring? Why are the Celtics? What, what is much worse about the Celtics profile than the Heat profile from that perspective? That, that's fair. But I, I mean, I wasn't also, I also wasn't really crazy about the Miami Heat as well. I think I got one. I got I got one more for you, Raheem. Mm-hmm. Boston's 14th in half court offense, so mm-hmm. their big problem is really transition. That's really where the issue is. So, like, I'm going the other way, and I'm like, this is the team is uh, 25 to one to win the East over a win bet. I'm not saying I'm there, but I will tell you this: Do I like the Joel Embiid having to go against this team? No, I do not. I do not like yeah. Joel Embiid having to go against Horford. Do not, do not like he has a bad history versus this Boston Celtics team. Now, he's dominated them this year. Orford didn't play him one, but he's dominated them this year. Maybe he's passed it. Maybe he's just moved on. But this team is really good defensively. Like, they are elite defensively. Yeah. And, the net, and the Sixers don't have a lot of shooting. Like, Harden compensates for Curry and probably makes up a little bit more, but they're still short in that department. Yeah. Um. Then you look at, okay, the Bucks. the Celtics switch everything. They switch everything and they get a big athletic wind, wind, uh, wind, uh, rim protector in Robert Williams. So that's a pretty good combo against the Bucks. is switch all, right? Like that's what gives them problems is anytime you can get the Bucks into a situation where they struggle to score, it gets tough. You go against Miami, okay. Where's the big matchup advantage there? Because Tatum's a great defender. Brown's a great defender. They got defenders on all those perimeter guys for the Heat. I don't know what team in the Eastern Conference has a significant edge on the Boston Celtics if they are playing like this. Like, I don't like them versus the West, but 25-1 to to win the East seems a little high given that they've been, like, rattling around in this. Like, their advanced numbers have been better than their record all season. Like that's been the whole thing, and we were trying to figure it out, and a lot of it's their clutch rating is terrible, right? But Derek White probably helps a little bit with that. Like, this team is fourth in adjusted net rating at dunks and threes. They got the 20th best offense, but we just talked about 14th and half court. I think it's yeah. interesting. Yeah, it is. That, that's interesting. I, I can definitely see it. I think they're alive against any opponent in the East. I think that, you know, you get them against Cleveland or Chicago, like I think Boston is maybe favored, especially they possibly passed 
those teams in the standing still, the way things are trending. And I think too, just not dismissing the addition by subtraction, not just of adding Derek White, but of getting Schroeder and Ennis Freedom out of the lineup, the guys that just have just not fit or worked at all for that team and getting their bad defense out of the lineup, I think raises the floor a lot for the team too. It's We've talked, Matt, uh, we, we always wish that we could bet on to make the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. That's the bet that I want for this mm-hmm. team. I don't know about winning three series, but I, I wish we could bet on them to make the Final Four. I'd feel much better about that one. It's time for the big picture. 19 and one are the Suns now when they shoot 50% and they shot 57% in this one, 131 to 107. Milwaukee loses the game. Pat Connaughton. That's big. Can't stop breaking it. broken hand. Yeah, but that's tough, man. Yeah. Especially losing to DiVincenzo. That's a big loss. Yeah. And yeah, they, well, they trade, they trade DiVincenzo. Each week we take a look at the biggest topics in the NBA and how to t- approach them from a betting perspective. This edition, we're heading into the All-Star break. We're going to have a big All-Star preview for you, by the way, later in the week. We'll have stuff about the All-Star game and totals and dunk contest and three-point contest and all sorts of stuff, and I will make myself care because I hate the All-Star game and want it to absolutely go away and, and, and burn forever. But get excited. It's a fun, it's a fun, fun event. It'll be lots of fun. I will say, um, we hit on Buddy Heald two years ago in the three-point contest. I, I should have hit last year on Zach Levine. I put a lot of thought into my three-point contest breakdowns. Feel good about this year. I like the slate. We're going to make some money on, on three-point contest this year. But this week's topic is what we've learned. We're at the All-Star break, gents coming up just here in a few days we're more than halfway through the season we're about 60 games in almost three-fourths of the way through the season what do we learn so far what's the big takeaway what's the one big thing that we've learned this season Uh, i'm gonna start i've learned that the phoenix suns may not be beatable i have resisted this kind of for much of the year Uh, i had their under as one of my as one of my bets my five best bets in preseason now most of those are going to wind up hitting this one not going to hit very much not so. Glad I didn't points bet that. But they have been absolutely tremendous. Uh, they've missed DeAndre Aiden. They've had t- time without Devin Booker. They've missed Cameron Payne. They've lost Frank Kaminsky for several weeks. They've had all these like small injuries. Chris Paul has been healthy. But for the most part, like they've been banged up, and yet they sit with the league's best record. Not only do they sit with the league's best record, but they have caught up in all the meaningful categories. They are now number one. An adjusted net rating at plus 7.8, passing the Warriors. They are top five in both categories. There are no other teams currently that are top five in adjusted offensive and defensive rating. They are second in offense and fourth in defense. They are dynamic. They can play several ways. They have wings forever. They have shooting. Chris Paul is amazing. Aiden can punish matchups. I have resisted the idea that the Suns team is a juggernaut. There are still teams that I look at and I will be a little bit concerned about the matchup. I don't think that they are a foregone conclusion, but it is not just that this team is so good or that they're racking up such a great record. It is that legitimately trying to find an area where the Suns can be exploited or a weakness is almost impossible. So I think the one thing that we may have learned is this may just be the Phoenix Suns' year and there's nothing that's going to stand in their way. The 2014 Suns have been mentioned on this podcast by folks. It's been mentioned in other places. The, I'm sorry, the 2014 Spurs that you know lost the finals, come back the next season even better, roll through, and win the finals. That seems like a pretty good outcome for them in terms of trying to match up their narrative. 
I don't know what can derail them outside of a Chris Paul injury, which is always a concern, but we've talked about how they're the best value about on the board for multiple weeks. To me, the biggest takeaway is that the Phoenix Suns may not be beatable this season, Raheem. Yeah, I mean, I totally agree with that. I, I, I've been saying all season long that in order to beat this team, you have to blow them out. They are 22-3 and three in the clutch. Like, and it's just, and for, for those who don't know, clutch games are games which the point differential is five or less with five minutes to go. They have an offensive rating of 135, a defensive rating of 91, and a net rating of 45 in those situations. One of those games in which they lost was a buzzer beater. It was almost impossible. Mikel Bridges is on top of John Morant, and John Morant just throws it up and hits the, hits the layup at the buzzer. So it's just like you really have to blow this team out. And like you said, they don't have many weaknesses. They were so stacked at center that they were able to trade Jalen Smith and get Torrey Craig back. So now you got an extra win. Like you may have some concerns about Cameron Payne, but at any given moment, they could stagger Chris Paul and, and Devin Booker. So I agree with you. This team is like totally, they may be unbeatable. And I think outside of Giannis, but I mean, you saw what they did to the Bucks the other night. It just was a total massacre. I'm still not there yet. I'm getting closer. Here's the question I have for you. You mentioned the 2014 Spurs. Looking back, like we're all, we're all NBA history buffs here. You give me some other title teams that this Suns team profiles as similarly to. Like, I'm trying to think of one that lost the finals, came back and won, which is tough to find. Um, I think it's tough to find teams that are constructed this way because like, I think the Pistons kind of qualify, but they couldn't score like this. They weren't good enough offensively. Put differently, who's the last NBA champion who had their best player was at the level of the Suns' best player? Somewhere, the, the, how about the Celtics? How about the 08 Celtics? Is that a good comp for this team? I mean, I, I'm trying to understand where, you, where you're coming from with the comp. I mean, at least for the Celtics. Like, okay, who's, if you think of like superstars win NBA championships, LeBron, Giannis, Kawhi, Steph, Durant, the Suns don't have that player on their team. I have a very hard time looking at a team, no matter how good they're in the regular season, without that superstar that can take over the game in the playoffs when it, this is a superstar-driven league. You have two of them. Like, to get out of here. No, I mean, Chris like, Paul I, and Devin Booker are not anywhere they, near that level. They, no, I mean, in clutch situations, Chris Paul and Devin Booker are as, about, as good as anybody in the league. And that, there's a reason why they're 22 and three in the clutch because you have two guys who literally will hit every single mid range shot. Chris Paul is in the 100th percentile mid range jumpers. I think, to put, I think here's the kind of the comp is Dirk's 2011 season wasn't nearly as good as his 2007 season. Like it's made out to be that they're the same and they weren't. Bear in mind, Chris Paul leads the league in assists this year. He really is that good of a playmaker and he's so good defensively. Is this not the 2015 Warriors? No. No. Because to me, it's just like you got a, a dominant offensive team that's just totally destroying the league offensively. They're third in defense. And it's like, I know they haven't been playing a lot of defense in February, but they're overwhelming teams offensively. No, nah, because they were so much more. The, the Warriors were so explosive. That's the difference. Is like the Suns don't hit you with those 22 runs. They like you can maintain contact and then you just wind up being like, and okay, we just never really caught up with them and they won by 12. Right? Like the Suns have a ton of double digit wins. 
but it really is consistently about stretching him out. I do not find the comparison between 2015 and mm-hmm. this team. I I can't get there. Gotcha. I can't get there. Like the I the reality is like they may not have a comp, right? Because like Brandon brought up 2008, I think that one's kind of interesting, right? You compare maybe Kevin Garnett with, with where he was at in his career to where Chris is at. And then Paul Pierce with where he was at in his career, like obviously older than Devin, but Devin plays kind of a similar role, right? And you've got McHale as like the Ray Allen shooter. That, like that comp kind of works, right? But it's still, it doesn't really translate. That's kind of the thing is like, I don't, that's one of the reasons why I think it's hard to like completely buy in on the team. To Brandon's point, is I think it's like there isn't a real model for this. It's difficult to, and I get the clutch aspect of it, Raheem. I think it's a good point because th- that's a lot of what the Celtics did, right? Is the Celtics would just basically hang with you, hang with you, hang with you, and then clutch time would come and they would knock you out. Bam. Yeah. Like once you combination, you're on the floor and they're standing. That's well, how I mean, the, here's like, my thing. Brand, Brandon is saying that they don't have a guy to get you a basket. And to me, look, we saw Devin Booker. No, he's in. But forgive me if I'm wrong, Brandon, but you're more just saying, like, they don't have, like, a guy. Like, who's going to go off for 51 if they need it? Devin Booker. Who's the last NBA champion that didn't have a top, a consensus top 10 player that year? Because yeah. you can say what you want about CP and Book. Neither one is a consensus top 10 player. And I think even Dirk you wouldn't in put, 2011, you I think he's still a top 10 player. Yeah, you would not put Devin top 10. Right. Oh, of course not. But I, I think the thing with Devin Booker is that he's a pure score. And I think they yeah. have so many like Booker's a pure score. Chris Paul, he can just I mean, he's going to hit every mid range jumper. He's going to put you big in a pick and roll. If he doesn't put him in, a, if he's not taking a shot, he's, he's going to get it to DeAndre. Ayton. Devin Booker and Chris Paul, these last two years are as good as Steph Curry ever was at getting a shot in these tough situations. No, I mean, he's, I, I actually think he's right about that. Steph, Steph's like, this is why he hasn't won finals MVP. Like, and he's not wrong on this. Like, like I, I love Steph Curry's my favorite player in the league. In a tough situation, Devin Booker and Chris Paul can get you those buckets. And a lot of times in those moments, Clay had to step up because he was the bigger guard. Well, and that's why, that's why they went out and got Kevin Durant, too, can we, can for, we for sure. But can, the, can the, say, the title thing, though, just to, to circle back to what I'm saying, if you look at the 11 Mavs, you look at the 08 Celtics, you know, the, I forget what year, the Pistons from the early 2000s, the teams that are teams that won as teams. The other thing too, when we look back on those teams is we see those as surprising champions. Like they were teams that won in lieu of there not being the A plus team that year, or because there was an injury that opened the door or, or like their teams. I, I just, I can't make this team a favorite because in NBA history, the favorite is the team that has the absolute superstars. And I can't get there with the Suns team for that reason. I think we're seeing something different. And I'm really curious to see how it works out because I think we're seeing a slow shift away from this little bit. And that people are going to fight and claw against that concept. Like yeah. the idea of moving away from superstars, people are just going to be like, no, 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 no. That's what the league has always been. No, 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 no. If that was true, LeBron James would have about five more titles. And as good as Steph has been, I don't know that Steph's been the, he's been the most impactful, but I don't think he's been the best player in the league for the majority. And even for the majority of like those titles. So like, I think we're, we're moving into this different sphere in the last couple of years. Like, I think this era is very fascinating with how the talent is distributed. So let me do my big takeaway next, because it's 
very ironic based on what I've just been saying. My big takeaway on the season so far is that teams that are teams, teams with depth and a quality, strong team, those are the teams winning in pandemic, not the super teams. With the caveat that I mean that for the regular season, I don't know if I necessarily mean it for the playoffs, but look at the top four in the West. Suns, Warriors, Grizzlies, Jazz. Steph Curry is the one consensus top 10 guy in that list, and he hasn't played well for months right now. And otherwise, those are team efforts. The Jazz have three all-star caliber guys. The Suns, their entire lineup is strong. The Grizzlies, we've talked about their depth a lot. In, in the East, Heat, Bulls, Cavs. I actually think the Bulls profile similarly to the Suns in that, like, I think that we look at the, the Bulls as this is DeMar and Zach doing everything. I think actually it's a five-man lineup. That's a very strong, rounded five-man team. And that's more the strength of the team. And meanwhile, the Nets are the eight seed. The Lakers are the eight seed. The Clippers are the nine seed. Those are the three teams that traded away every asset that they had to build the super team. And look, it's not their fault. Nobody knew there was a pandemic coming and how much we're going to have this crunch schedule and how much depth would matter and all of that. But you trade everything away for these couple of guys. And then one of them gets hurt or both get hurt. And it just the the all in on super team thing hasn't worked or isn't working, except also the Bucks traded for Drew and won the title. The Lakers traded for Anthony Davis and won the title. So I think that my point is a regular season point. Uh, but even the MVP candidates this year, Joel Embiid, Giannis, LeBron, Jokic, all those guys other than Steph, their teams are further down the standings. The teams that are teams are winning the regular season right now. I agree. I, I just take it a little bit kind of further. And I think um, I think the talent is so distributed and you have like the strength of, of all these things. In, in particular, here's another kind of challenge to the superstar concept. You know, Giannis failed twice, got busted by the Raptors and the Heat. You know, like we were, yeah. we're seeing teams with systemic organizational strength topple some of these super teams. But what winds up happening then is even if like the best team with this great player, even if they get beaten, like whoever wins the title, then their guy becomes it. Like that's we're just like reorganizing it around the same matrix instead of changing the entire structure um, of kind of the 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 sphere we're looking at because it's fascinating to me to look at teams like Memphis, teams like Denver, teams like if the Suns are not are beatable, then after that, like it's a whole mess. Like it's a whole mess. Like Raheem has been talking about how the Warriors are beatable because of their offense. I don't think you can look at a single team in the Eastern Conference and go, nobody's taking them down. We thought at this time we'd be like, well, you know what? The Nets are probably just going to win it. Like, that's where we thought we, we were going to be in preseason, that we would just be looking at the Nets, you know, and they were number one, like Brandon said, when KD was around. But there's a reason why no one was excited about the Nets, even their fans. Like, this was a really telling thing to me that even if you pay attention to Nets Twitter, and yes, there are Nets fans. They're all like the season is miserable and unimpressive and no fun. I thought we were just going to be awesome when we got Kyrie and KD. Instead, I got yeah. this. And like that's me. Meanwhile, you got teams that are just like these composites who, have, who can hit you in waves and they're all really strong. Um, but Brandon, it sounds like that's been your lesson for regular season performance, which impacts our win totals analysis in the offseason. But you kind of still stick to 
the best players are going to decide the playoffs? I think so. I mean, that's kind of that. That's the Suns thing that we just said, which is I don't know right now who I think would beat the Suns, but I think that's because I don't know right now which of those teams is going to actually be healthy when it gets to the playoffs. You know, did the Nats actually have everyone back? And Kyrie's playing all the games now. Uh, are Anthony Davis and LeBron both actually healthy and, and giving like, I don't know who it's going to be, but if I look at like the playoffs are about ceiling and who's, who's at their best at that time. And I already know what the sun's ceiling is. This is the sun ceiling and it's great, but I still think that it's an a minus ceiling compared to the a plus version of the Bucks or of what the Lakers or Nets could potentially be. So you know, that doesn't mean the Suns can't win the title, but to me, it means that I need to rule out those other A-plus versions of superstar teams. And I don't know, the, the lesson might be that the pandemic it has made this, this, like we might look back in 10 years at this stretch of few seasons and just kind of be like, man, what a weird stretch of basketball. We just kind of had the last team standing each year. I've been arguing with Seth Partner about this. I, I don't know. I, I think December was rough for the beginning of December was rough for about two teams. The middle of December through the early part of January was rough for everybody. We got a lot of sample around it. I feel like we're making excuses for what we don't want to like, like because it's so different than what we expected. I feel like we're unwilling to change our priors and we're just going, oh, well, it's the pandemic. That's yeah. all it is. It's just the, that's just all the, this doesn't make sense to me. So it's gotta be something weird with the pandemic. And I'm like, I don't know, man. Like yeah. a lot of these teams that weren't impressive, weren't impressive before the pandemic, before the, the Omicron wave and haven't been impressive after the Omicron wave. And a lot of the teams that were good before the Omicron wave have been good after the Omicron wave. Like, I don't know how many teams I can really look at and go, their season got derailed by COVID this year, you know? Yeah. Yeah. I think that's true. I, I'm not really thinking of like the Omicron mid season, just as much as the arc of three years of this mess of, you know, all the games being smashed together and, you know, the Lakers had their big long break before their title run. And there yeah. was a ton of injuries in the playoffs, just the Olympics smashed in there. Like the whole arc of, there's so much missed time and key injuries and like, it's not necessarily a day-to-day thing, just, just the overall stretch of what has been these few years, but, but we have, we have no way to measure it. It is what it does. Raheem, what's your big takeaway? Big takeaway of this season is that you kind of got to have a defense. Defense really, really matters. Like you look at the team, like the Atlanta Hawks and they're one of the best offenses in the league. And yet they're out of the playoffs right now just because they can't stop anybody. And like you look at the Brooklyn Nets for large portions of this season, they could score. But if you can't stop anybody, I think you're you're really, really in trouble this season. So I think that's one of the biggest things that I've I've noticed this year. Also, I I think the West is by far the the better conference. Whoever comes out of West is probably has the best chance of winning. Wow. I'm a little I'm a little concerned with the Bucks right now. People aren't talking about this, but the Pat Connaughton in- injury is big because yeah, they've really just traded Dante DiVincenzo for whatever Serge Ibaka is now. And you also don't, we don't know what's going on with Brooke Lopez. So 
I have a real concern for the Bucks going forward. I know they still have the big three. And if you have the big three, you got Giannis, you got Drew, you got Middleton. But maybe there's something, you know, there with this being almost constructed similar to a super team, just like Brandon said, because I don't know. They don't really have any guards right now. I think one of the things, though, I will take issue with your East assessment, because Mm -hmm. if I told you the Warriors or the Suns don't make it out of the West, who do you think is favored in the finals? If it's the Bucs, then the Bucs are favored. But, I mean, like, we're looking right now where the Nets are almost out of it. Like, the Nets could legitimately miss the playoff. So I we know, have. I, I just, I, mean, I am with, with Brandon to the degree that, look, if KD comes back second week in March, they're going to win six of 10, or they're going to win six of eight, and they're going to be. Yeah, I mean, that, that is true. But I'm kind of assuming that KD isn't close. Mm. Yeah. And we'll it's see. like, I think, here's the thing. I think in the East, I think Miami's really good. I think Boston's really good. I think the Sixers are really good and have Harden, which I think raises them a level. I know you're questionable on what he's going to be. Um, the Bucks are the defending champs, and when they have engaged, they look awesome. Like they were at the end yeah. of the of the road trip versus the Suns. The Suns looked at more impressive than that game than I thought the Bucks looked bad. Uh, the content thing matters, but he'll probably be back by playoffs. They do have a lot of wings still. Um, and then you got who else? Who am I forgetting in the East? The Bulls, right? You got the Bulls who are tough. You got the Cavs who are tough. Versus in the West. If the Warriors were to get upset and Chris Paul gets hurt, which those are that's like a not crazy set of circumstances, right? We're all kind of waiting for Chris at 35 to to get banged up. Chris gets hurt. The Warriors get knocked out, get upset, which I think is on the table, given their offensive inconsistency. And Draymond's injury matters here, too. Right. If we're going to mention Brooke Lopez, we get to get like Brooke Lopez is still out with a back injury. Draymond Green is still out with a back injury. Right. Um, Yeah. I don't know who in the Western Conference. I'm like, ooh, you know, if Memphis comes out of it, I think Memphis gets beat in the finals. If the Nuggets come out of it, that's a little bit different. But even then, they'd be, I mean, they'd be dogs, right? They'd be dogs to any of those teams I just mentioned, except for maybe Chicago. Is Jamal Murray coming back this year? Yes. I feel, I think so. Based off of what I know, Jamal Murray's coming back this year. Mm. And MPJ is a maybe. So. Yeah, that's interesting because I, I, I think I actually think almost the exact opposite of what you said, Raheem, on the conferences. Like, I'm actually feeling for myself that the East is the tough conference and has like seven legitimately good, deep playoff threats where the West and part of that ties to my being a little more underwhelmed on the Suns than, than the two of you are. Not underwhelmed, just just I'm whelmed. I'm properly whelmed on the Suns. Um, but I like if you look at the the West, you got like we're missing the Kawhi and PG team, and we're missing the LeBron and Brow team. We're missing the Dame team. Like the the West playoff picture, all these teams that went all in on the the ten seed to, to get the West. Like what are you doing? We're we're missing three or four of the actually good West teams this year, but they're not going anywhere. Next year they're going to be back again. So to me, the West is really depreciated this year, and. And even too those teams at the top that have the really good records, do they have that because they're playing all these other West teams and piling up better records in this kind of like the bottom is so much worse than it has been for a long time. So I actually feel the opposite. If the Warriors look like the Warriors again and Draymond looks like Draymond again, that's the team that I've still have been high on. But otherwise, I'll feel 
probably like the East team will be favorite actually. So that's, that's an interesting contrast. Which is good. This is how it should be. We should be able to debate about it. My whole thing is we got Chicago and Cleveland as the two and three seeds in the East. Okay. I don't know. Yeah, okay, but but here's the deal. I, I think I would say, because this gets back to your first point, which I think is really, which really does matter. Yeah. Defense matters this season more than it has in the last eight seasons in the NBA. Like that's huge to talk about. Like you're yeah. absolutely right on that. Uh, the Blazers, an all offensive team that in years past was like a definite playoff team, back of the line. Uh, the Mavs, who have been all offense, they shifted. Now they're defense. Now they're a five seed. They probably will slide, but they're in a better spot than they were last year. Like on and on and on. The Warriors, who yeah. have had no Draymond and Steph not playing well, are still the two seed because yep. their defense has stayed that strong all year. Yep. Yeah. So that's really the thing is I think like you got to have more trust in the defensive centric teams than the offensive centric teams. And still the Brooklyn Nets are the title favorite of the MGM. <laughs> okay. I'd love to see the odds on the Nets to miss the playoffs. That's the bet I want to, I want to see. Like I, I need them to open that up. I mean, look, it'd be such long odds that you would get, you know, maybe it's worth it, but boy, they had it up the other day and it's not, it's off the board now, which is a shame crazy ones like the jazz are plus 4,000. Like the jazz are missing the playoffs. Come on guys. Yeah. Come on. Come what on. about Nets or Lakers? If, if, if they have that prop available, let's call it even odds. One of them to miss the playoffs, Nets or Lakers, who would you take? Raheem, who do you pick? I'm taking the Nets just because there's the wild card of Kevin Durant not coming back. And if he doesn't come back, I think you got a, a positive expected value wager. I think the Lakers are a worse team. But the fact that Kevin Durant might not come back in a timely fashion is, is enough for me to, to take the net. Look, at some point, the, the record the record is like you are your record. At some point, like, yeah. that's who you are. And the Nets are not really like that because like KD's been out. I get that. But with the Lakers, that's like the temptation is like, I have to get there. I have to get there and just be like, the Lakers are what the record says they are. Yeah. There has not been one stretch of the season. Not one where I've been like, the Lakers are playing their best basketball. Not one yeah. time have I felt like this is as, as good as the, as the Lakers can play. So, like, maybe they just never get there. Maybe they never play any good basketball this year. Yeah. That's possible. Yeah. I mean, that's on the, the table thing. now. Like, the, the, the Nets can miss the playoffs if Durant just never gets healthy again. The Lakers can miss the playoffs because they lost in the play-in. Like, the yeah. Lakers could yeah. just lose in the play-in. Yeah. And so, I, I would pick the Lakers if I had to do that. I, I, the, the, look, I never thought the Lakers were good. I never liked the Westbrook trade. You can go back to the podcast in the summer. Like, I never liked this. This is not a surprise. This is kind of what I expected. And I'm totally out on the Lakers after losing to that Blazers team the other day. Well, like, I, I personally love the Westbrook trade, but that's because I hate the Lakers. So the day that that happened, my, my whole spirits lifted and I went from the nihilism onto Nets Lakers finals to, hey, who knows what can happen? Now. Anything can happen. Anything is possible when a team trades for Russell Westbrook. That's going to wrap it up for this episode of The Big Picture. Thanks for joining us, everybody. We'll be back. Reminder, Raheem and I will be on YouTube, the Action Network YouTube live on Tuesday night and Wednesday night at 7 Eastern for the workshop. We break down the next day's best bets, fresh out the oven. Check those out. Later this week, we'll have our all-star preview, all the betting information that you need to know. Dunk contest, three-point contest. I'll try and get a rising stars line. And of course, of course, Team LeBron versus Team KD. 
in this very serious game that everyone tries so hard in. We will break it all down for you. Check it out later this week. Thanks for joining us, everybody. Until next time, our thanks to Dan Titus, our producer. Let's get buckets. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.